Hi everyone, welcome back to Overton Sisters podcast. Today we're going to have a very spicy topic, which is mental health. The reason why I want to talk about this is because I was writing an essay about the topic of neoliberalism and I came across a very interesting article about the commodification of mental health. And I just want to read out this small quote. Many in the medical field perceive mental health concepts as medical facts, divorcing them from the social, economic, and political conditions of the individual. Now let that sink in. (laughs) Generally, I feel like there is this trend. Like, we're so hyped up on having all the new technologies that we have in science that we kind of, we think that we're like so objective nowadays. We're like, oh my God, look, we have scientific method. You know, we have all this research. We're so objective. So, like, yeah, indeed. Why why not just prescribe SSRIs? (laughs) Honestly, why don't we go back to cocaine and morphine? And, I mean, we kind of still use morphine in some countries. You know, why? let's just use drugs. You know, Coca-Cola, the original one. (laughs) (laughs) Or, like, let's sedate. They used to sedate um, orphanage kids. So, yay. No, but I think also as as we're kind of post as two post Soviets, we're well equipped culturally to speak about this topic because I think the medicalization of human life it's not, it's not the first place where it happened, but on a wide scale, like psychiatry was used in Soviet Union to go against dissidents, mm-hmm. and there was this diagnosis of slowly creeping in schizophrenia. <laughs> Indeed, and for which. For which the only symptom you needed is just to be against the Marxist-Leninist revolution. Honestly, iconic. No, but you, you, you can say you can say that Soviet Union. All the was dissidents kind of, turning in the graves right now. Soviet Union was like historically one of the, on one of the first projects that was like we're going to redesign every single sphere of human existence within our state and then make it global. You know, like this was like massive projects with like with certain ideas about education and family. And, you know, when you look at architecture projects, like, you know, with like factories and schools and like kindergartens Mm -hmm. all connected this stuff, you're like, wow, they really gave a lot of thought. They never actually acted on it. Like they tried, but they didn't. Uh, But still, I feel like the ideas were well-preserved. But this this is no, I really like the idea how they tried to change the human being, but then they failed so miserably. <laughs> like if if anything, I think post-Soviet people are like one of the most pessimistic and non-believing people. And you know why they failed? Really. Because of the human nature. <laughs> in a way, like it didn't work for a reason because humans like you can't just take a bunch like a bunch of humans and be like you are now this and that though i need to say that a lot of ideas like they are still with us you know all those what do you mean um well if we're entering the topic of that schizophrenia diagnosis weird schizophrenia diagnosis um you know this whole culture of hard work and where your value as a human is defined by how much good stuff you bring to the state. That's like, we still have it. Like this work hard mentality, you know, Mm -hmm. it's still here. Those who don't work, like, you know, in in the West, of course, you still have it because like, but there it's more like capitalism. Like, you know, if you're, you know, poor and sad, that's because you don't work enough. Even though, no, that's not how it works. Um, but in Soviet Union, it just worked differently. It's like this whole 
be useful to your state, work for your state, and if you don't, you're nothing. And it's like a big part of all cartoons and, you know, fairy tales and all kinds of, you know, young youth books. And it's still with us today. But I I think in a way that's very powerful. Like, look, I'm not in the position to speak about this. I've never lived in Soviet Union myself. But just like thinking of the ideological climate that I've grown up in, there is no official line of ideology. I mean, okay... At least for me, it was like, I'm growing up in a democracy, but there was never like a clear statement of what what values or what like future state we're building. You know, there's something very powerful in the idea that we're all going to chip in and make this great country for everyone. And I'm sure that's why so many people did crazy things because of that. Yeah, but I feel like in Latvia, it's more intense than in Russia. There are fireworks outside. Where are the fireworks outside? This is because we're having protests today. Did people decide to... Oh my God, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know if... Why, you do, you, why do you think those are fireworks? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but yeah, what we were talking about. No, for Latvia, it was a little bit different, I guess, because like maybe you didn't have that much of strong ideology. I feel like I did, because like United Russia, Edina Russia, the party... When they were trying to, you know, persuade people that they're great and not just a bunch of corruptioners who have a mega mind plan on how to steal as much money as possible, you know, before that, like they were trying to force this like certain ideas onto us. They stole some from like Russian Empire, some from Soviet Union, added something of their own, you know, and like this whole Frankenstein. Yeah, but there is like there is certain ideology. There is like this Russian person, the idea of Russian person that is like connected to Orthodox Church, Russian Orthodox Church. There's also this, you know, veterans and uh, Second World War and Russian Civil War, you know, like all the veterans of those times and how we, you know, won yeah. the Nazi Germany, you know. Like it's very much, you, you, you can say there is ideology in Russia. In Latvia, I guess you were um, freer than us. <laughs> No, I mean, we still we still had some kind of ideology in school, but it's just more about reflecting on the past traumas of the Soviet. Time. That's so sweet. That's so sweet. <laughs> yeah, we never. No, no. Really I mean, I mean, ideology in this. No, I meant the way I meant it is just this vision of future. Is it just me, or I feel like no one has really told me like this is what we're going forward to. Because futurism died at some point. Futurism was very, very popular. And I feel like it died at some point, maybe closer to 90s or 2000s. It kind of started dying out. Then there was another like spark in maybe 2010s. Wait, how do you say it? Like 2010 and further on with uh, Elon Mm -hmm. Musk and all the stuff. Like... If we're talking futurism, if, if that's what you're referring yeah, but that's to. The, okay, the, okay, I'm sure some people ascribe to this version of futurism by Elon Musk, but yeah. it's still so sad. I don't know. Somehow, despite all the bad things states have done, I still want to trust them more than businesses. Fair enough. Um, I mean, that's natural, no? You as a yeah. citizen... Also, businesses come and go, states actually also come and go, but... (laughs) (laughs) 
talking from a Russian viewpoint. <laughs> one brainwashy with marketing, another's brainwashy with ideology, and like, guess which one is stronger? Actually, that's an interesting argument. Like, well, which one is stronger? I feel I feel like at this I point, I think they're, they're the same. There's no difference. We're all eating, as Slava Zizek said, we're all country. eating the trash kind of ideology. It depends on the country, really. Yeah. No, I feel like in Russia there is some kind of like this distinction between marketing and... But then our marketing school is just not that hard. Like, it's not as developed, I feel like. Mm. It's terrible. So, talking about mental health. Yeah, we don't have any... <laughs> We have mental health. State of it? <laughs> Questionable. Yeah, it's like not great, you know? This, I guess this is what happens when you're like grandparents suffer and then your no, but parents suffer actually, and you suffer. But thinking even in like the context of now, of January 2021, I'm sure like so many people are being diagnosed with depression right now because of the pandemic. Like the reason why many people are having anxiety or some kind of mental health issues is because of the environmental factors. And then they go to doctors and I'm sure that like, there's going to be a big increase in medication being prescribed, which I don't think is the right way to go about it. For sure. But also I need, like, I feel like this is not over diagnosing though. Maybe it is over medication because if you have a lot of, so like from economical perspective, like it's easier to prescribe antidepressants than to prescribe therapy because therapy, of you know, course. if we think about public health and like spending, um, you know, it's it just cheaper. I mean, therapy is more costly and takes more time. But um, I feel like the diagnosis themselves, they're not like we're not over diagnosed. Just the environment indeed is so weirdly stressful. Like we're so not adapted to it naturally that we indeed start having developing depression anxiety but I, st- I think it's still very stressful even if we didn't have this pandemic i'm sure we would have some kind of mental health crisis that has been going on for the recent years in the developed countries you know and that makes me question why does the world health organization i was reading about this for my essay and it was like some data from world health organization and they were saying oh mental health is so important countries really especially developed countries really need to tackle this and then they say, okay, one of the main reasons for poor mental health is socioeconomic uh, stressors that come from people's environment. But you know what they go on to conclude? They say we need to have more cognitive behavioral therapy. I mean, How it's... does that address the root cause? <laughs> oh my God. I have my own beef with CBT at this point because it be- it's becoming new mindfulness, you know? Like, yes, it can it work. No, not really. I'm kidding. In my in Don't my world, trigger me, please. <laughs> Excuse me, ma'am. No, but it's becoming so... so. Wait, maybe we should maybe we should explain what it is for the people that don't know, for the mentally healthy listeners of the podcast. Are there any? <laughs> Sorry. Hi. Hi. Um, if you're like mentally healthy and you feel like it, you're probably wrong. But still, if you feel like it, please leave it in the, in the comments or something or in our reviews, because we're like very interested if there are any people like this. I've never met them. So I'm just like really interested. Mm, I think my mom is going to listen to this and she's going to say like, but Excuse I'm mentally me? healthy. <laughs> and I mean, she is. So 
she's a Baltic woman, both Soviet woman. Really, I mean, Baltic queen. What can you do? Indeed, indeed, indeed. But like, are we all at all properly mentally healthy? What is like even the norm of mental health? Yeah, this and that's what I meant when I was like reading out this quote. I mean. It's not really medical facts like the way that all these like mental illnesses are diagnosed it's all for example i think in the dsm manual which is the one they use in in the united states you need two over two weeks of sad like general sadness to be diagnosed with depression and then like potentially be medicalized and like given i don't know other medication it's pretty fair for like all conditions you have like your symptoms should be present for quite some time. Well, like, what you have a problem with this or not? I don't understand. Of course, no, no, no. But it's kind of problematic in the way that the person. I mean, it's it could be that you have sadness for over two weeks, but then it could be because a member of your family died. No, no, no. That I, there is a point that about the cause. You know, if there is a cause and there is sadness and it's not like too deep, not too devastating, and you can still function, that's not depression. You know, usually, like there, there is this point. Uh, I can't just like straight up say, but I, like I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember. There, there was something like it's about continuity, the depth, uh, how much it affects your life. If your life, if you're still able to function well, like it probably wouldn't count as a depression. You know, as diagnosis. You know, no, no, there are points like this. If you have reasons, like yeah, you're just rightfully sad and grieving probably or something it's like i never get a chance to relax at work i'm tense about stuff at home at home i'm tense about stuff at work about mental health and our modern life i feel like that um just think about it you know of course we can argue that people in all times were traumatized actually there is some um evidence that even in ancient times there was ptsd i think there is some evidence from roman empire roman soldiers who would have like you know nightmares and stuff you know you can talk about caligula for example or tiberius who had like Mm -hmm. weird behavioral things for sure like mental health wasn't always great i wouldn't say so like ever since we existed there were some problems uh but I, i do indeed feel that now it's more you know, it's getting worse. Of course, people used to literally see dead bodies on streets, you know? People would kill each other and be like, huh, cool. Or like, I don't know. Like, people would be persecuted. Or you would go watch and, yeah, and you would, you would watch go have it. fun and watch the execution. But now, like, it's less normalized. Hence, like, you don't see it <laughs> often. <laughs> hence, there's more of a shock factor. That's one thing. But then, then, can we please talk about what 20th century was for us. You have a bunch of wars globally, like everywhere. In every point of Earth, there's some creepy stuff going on. You know, you have starvation, you have poverty increasing, you have unemployment increasing. And then you also have neolibs coming in and saying, you know what, maybe some unemployment is actually natural. And people be like, hmm, maybe. And then you also you have... You deserve felt- not to have a stable job. Yeah. and It's then- your fault. <laughs> you also have this like urbanization when people who are used to living on land, and land is a magical thing because it always gives you something. Like if you own a piece of land, you can always grow your own food. But you move to the city, boom, you're dependent on producers, right? You have like this, and then you have like post-war time part times, and then you have like you know agriculture crisis because like 
after war and after everything, uh, you know, then you have ecological factors influencing them. You have development of offices. The whole life was shaped, reshaped uh, so much. And then you also have gender roles post-war gender roles being much harsher and much stricter and a lot of people like feeling like they don't fit no more like yeah i don't think there's anybody who's like properly fully mentally healthy unless they indeed like grew up in this like very healthy family and been through a lot of therapy but generally i feel like a lot of us have grandparents who start for example and there's like these messages that get passed on you know, for example, about, mm-hmm. you know, not finishing your food. I feel like in Soviet Union, like in post-Soviet spaces, it's still a big thing, you know, mm-hmm. and... I don't know. I think I'd, I just have this thing genetically. It's not like my parents would get very angry if I didn't finish my food, but I just cannot... I don't, no, I don't think I don't think it's enough. I don't Genetic think trauma. It's not real genetic trauma, but there are those messages, you know? When you know the history, you hear stories from your great-grandparents, your grandparents, and you hear, like, you learn history of your nation, you're like, wow, people starved, you know? When you see your grandma, great-grandma maybe putting potatoes, you know, planting potatoes in every piece of land because she's so scared that another crisis will come and we'll have relatives like this, you know? Like, it it leaves a mark on you if you want it or not, like, no matter how aware you are, so... Yeah, life sucks. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think also a big a big part of that is the breakdown of the how to call it the breakdown of the community that people used to live in. Mm-hmm. You know, like how there are all these sayings: "Oh, it takes a village to raise a child," and which kind of also explain. I was reading something that explains the rise in postpartum depression among women because there is no, like you're literally alone at home with the child, like if you live maybe in a very urbanized area and your family lives in different cities, mm-hmm. who's going to help you? No You're community. all alone. It. And it used to not be like this. Cities are, <laughs> cities are alienating. We no longer live. We Also nuclear families that develop, like we now see it as a very natural thing. But if you think about it, like this whole idea of working father, stay-at-home mom with kids, like it's not as natural. Like indeed, you don't have grandparents as much you know around you don't have aunts and some neighbors you don't have that much of a connection with them you know and see the yeah, life is, like there, is there any going back like because i feel like the speed like this kind of rate and speed of life has changed so much imagine living with your grandparents yeah now it seems so weird and honestly i feel like and them having an opinion on everything you yeah I feel like a lot of people would not choose it but there's just generation gap is like it feels bigger because we no longer have um, as much like not that as much respect, but maybe like we allow ourselves to disagree more with elders. No, but it's also because no, but things change a lot quicker than they used to. I mean, yeah. I think elders used to have like a lot more respectable place in society because of their wisdom and, you know, life experience. Indeed, indeed, my grandma. Which is quite sad because now you just become a little bit disposable. Oh, <laughs> once you get old. Yeah, indeed. Like I remember my grandma literally getting angry with me when I said that I want to pierce my ears, and when I came home with like pierced ears with a gun, uh, you know, like with those siroshkas. How do you say e- 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 <laughs> earrings? Yes. Uh, wow, English. <laughs> C1. Um, and she was like, what is this? But like, aren't you supposed to have like those strings that you move around? And I'm like, no, grandma. Strings. Yeah, they used to do this. Like they would, like in some places, I feel like in Soviet Union, apparently that was the case. You, they would like use 
um, a needle to pierce your ear and then you would put a string in and then you would mo move the string so that like a channel is formed in your ear. And apparently my uh -huh. grandma did it that way. And so she was so surprised that there's like this new technology, like, and for her, it was so weird. So she was like very much against piercing your ears, even though it's like such a normalized thing now. And I was like, wow, like we're having this like little drama on this such minor thing. And that's just one thing. And just I one mean, thing, yeah. a minor part of life. Yeah, exactly. I feel like there was some kind of substitution of ideals. If we're talking... Of ideals. Yeah. The self-centrism in societies that are more individualistic, are we really equipped for that? To that, you know? Indeed, like you can see... Okay, that's a tricky thing. If we compare, you know, individualistic cultures versus more, uh, how to say, communal cultures. What was the opposite? Mm -hmm. I forgot the term communal. Yeah. Um yeah collective collectivist collectivist versus if you compare individualistic cultures to collectivist cultures like there is some stats saying that individualistic cultures there are higher rates of mental uh health disorders certain ones you know usually connected to loneliness um but at the same time like we don't really know is it because in uh collectivist cultures there's just like not much stats and research going on or is it because actually the culture is different people receive more support um yeah, that's a tricky and actually very sensitive thing. Of so course. I feel like, yeah, everybody has their own opinion, but yeah. But I think this thing with like certain societies having, uh, you know, more more of specific mental illness is not just like limited to where we are now. And like, oh, of course, during the glory of neoliberalism, like, okay, in Soviet Unionism, in Soviet Union, maybe it was this schizophrenia or something which is a bit fake but like you not know, when schizophrenia, they a certain type of schizophrenia right not the proper the, diagnosis that they are weird do not diagnose anymore yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're slowly moving away but some doctors still use weird soviet diagnosis because you know it's soviet school of thought still okay but can i ask you one question real quick this is a small pause is it just me or it's just a coincidence that I've heard a lot of people who've lived in Soviet Union, like when they're in an argument, calling each other schizophrenics. Oh, like no. Like it's such a common insult. Not at all. Not at all. No, it's like our word in Russian, you know, like we like words like idiot, down, autistic, schizophrenic, like they're very much like slurs used as slurs and like as offensive words in English too but in Soviet Union I feel like it was very big we have a lot of words for that and they're very no normalized you know and I feel like it is partially because of the attitude that we have towards like various disorders conditions and disabilities and actually if mm -hmm. like right now we treat our veterans as like those heroes but if you look uh, at historical evidence straight after war Soviet regime did everything to destroy those um those harmed by war they would send them to valam island that's one story that i know um basically they would take all the homeless people all those who were homeless after war or like those who were disabled after war and send them to valam to live with monks and that was the situation so like where is that uh, valam it's not far from saint petersburg it's i think it's on ladishka um lake yeah so there was generally you can argue that there was like very 
you can also say that there was this this culture of like you need to be high functioning productive you know working person if you look at all the imagery of like soviet realism it's always this like you know perfect um you know healthy bodies and everything so obviously like there was a lot of stigma around disability and mental and physical so i feel like it it i think and i think we still have that a lot in eastern europe Yes, I mean, yes, which is which is very sad. But I think this is one like this whole culture about being a productive, high functioning member of society. That's why China is so good at capitalism. Oh, they really created a perfect hybrid. They were like, we're gonna. They have the best of both worlds. Yeah, really, for the capitalism. from the communism, from capitalism. You know, like took all the manipulation stuff there could be. Yeah, indeed. Mm. But oh yeah, God. I found out, um, I was reading about this thing about mental illnesses. So obviously I knew about hysteria among women. Oh, that's a big is, one. Yeah, which which is a big one for a certain time in history. Apparently there's this thing called drapetomania. Do you know it? Sounds familiar, but I'm not sure. Oh, it's something from trying to, it's something from scientific racism about slaves who would escape and then say that they have some kind of mental mm. illness. Also, like, in a way, I wanted to bring up this topic today because, like, even though there is less stigma today about mental health, it's still very much, like, the responsibility is kind of supposed to be taken for the individual. Yeah. It's like, oh, only if you meditate every day. (laughs) Moreover, moreover, even if we're not talking about physical... If we're talking about learning disabilities, for example... Um, so we have some like family friends with dyslexia, mm-hmm. kids with dyslexia, who like and teachers would tell their parents like that you need special school, even though like all you need is oh, like they have the same thing bit. in Latvia. And generally, with any disability, any kind of like mental, physical, learning disability, any kind of like neurodiversity, it's very common that they will tell you that you know it's your responsibility to find the like you know private school or like oh go study at home something like this without even considering that well excuse me child actually needs communication like you know big classes and everything a lot of kids around what do you mean like study at, at home a lot of people cannot seriously cannot um afford that that takes so much money and time you know um yeah indeed there's always like uh oh like you didn't adapt yourself to this like it was your choice moreover i've heard people just saying that the mother was supposed to do an abortion if she knew that her child was disabled like oh my god how can a mother know that like the child is going to be this? I mean, there there are screenings. There are screenings. No, no, I know, I know. But for a lot of these things, I mean, there's there are screenings for everything, and some things you just like kind of predict. It's like, but also, okay, I'm generally like okay with abortions, not as like okay with abortions, but I understand that it's like a very necessary thing. You, you we shouldn't like make it illegal or anything. It should be even include insurances. But generally, like. Excuse me, telling a mother with uh, a child with some kind of condition that, like, oh my God, you should have aborted them. Like, excuse me, how are you even walking this earth? The audacity of you to wake up every morning and say, like, and think that? I'm always thinking something terrible is going to happen. I can't handle it. You know, your worst fears, the, you know, the what ifs, and I can't control it. And I'm always worrying about everything. But it's like a tape in my mind, it just goes over and over and I over. I just and over. thought that I was a worrier.
Should we like structure our talk? Let's talk about those weird diagnoses that there are in Soviet Union. They were. Let's portray some okay. context, right? You have Soviet scientists that are absolutely isolated from the rest of the world. They literally have each other. That's it. They don't communicate with European scientists. They don't really communicate with American or anybody. You know, so they're in quarantine. Yeah, and the idea of peer review isn't really there. You know, like you have review from some leaders of the country, you have review of your colleagues, but generally like this whole modern stuff that we have, like journals and peer review and a lot of like open criticism wasn't really there generally in the whole world, in Soviet Union especially. Even still now, all those things are so vulnerable to, you know, big pharma. Of course, no, 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 of course. And generally even peer review is a very tricky thing and journals is a very tricky thing like you know they choose they uh pinpoint topics very specifically to of course there's like a lot of bias going on but that's just like yeah. the context for soviet environment that you have scientists that just left for themselves and healthcare and you have healthcare that is there you know the reason why it is accessible is because Lenin, basically, Lenin was faced with Spanish flu straight after revolution, I think, straight after like mm-hmm. in the, the, that period. Um, and you also have like a lot of wars. So, you know, there was Spanish flu. There was like, I think malaria was also there in Soviet Union generally at the time. You have a bunch of weird diseases and you have to control them. And Lenin was like, okay, we're going to have accessible healthcare. This is like we need it for a healthy human. But it wasn't like, oh, it's a human right to have an accessible healthcare as it is now. It was like, you need a working man. We are going, we're going to force you to be healthy. Yeah, yeah, because we need you as a worker. <laughs> like, no virtue here, guys. Like, this is literally, you need to work. This is why we're giving right, you. Yeah, but that's still kind of nice. I think in the USA, like... Of course, of course, it is amazing. They don't, even want, to, they don't even want to force you to be healthy. This is that good stuff of Soviet Union. I'm grateful for education and healthcare. Like, obviously, now it's not as great, not even remotely, but it's accessible. And it will always be accessible because we're just, like, for us, it's like such an engraved idea but that's the background so of course a bunch of weird diagnoses had to appear compared like related to your working ability which are what is the name of this one uh i don't know how to even say this thing in english is this a certain type of schizophrenia no every time i try to translate this diagnosis it's just impossible no when i was reading on wikipedia it was something called creeping schizophrenia or slow progression schizophrenia yeah indeed it's like high functioning slow progression schizophrenia which is like <laughs> sorry that I'm laughing if you look at modern dsm and icd um you wouldn't find it there <laughs> like it, it changed <laughs> okay but this one is this one is obviously like constructed for political reasons but also there's uh uh, vegetativa dystonia what do you call that yeah that's like i don't know vegetative not probably not vegetative but it's like no but it is dystonia. Vegetative, <laughs> vegetative dystonia i don't know how to translate it honestly essentially well, it's some kind of anxiety disorder no it's a combination it's a combination of cardiovascular uh disorders conditions where you have like kind of the idea is that there's something with your vessels that makes you like anxious and tired you know essentially high function depression can fall under it Certain types of anxiety, certain types of chronic fatigue, it all can fall under a vegeta sasudia state dysthenia. 
it's it's such a bizarre diagnosis, but it was so popular at the time because it's like, oh, you feel this way. Well, yeah, we it get the dystonia. Yeah, drink these nootropics. Oh, can we talk about nootropics? How they are like not really a thing everywhere else, but post-Soviet environment. I think that's fine. I think they're just being demonized in the West because they don't produce them and they're jealous that we have nootropics. <laughs> they're not demonized. It is like this- it's demonized. I went. I went to a doctor in the UK, and he was like, "Oh, you shouldn't. You should, oh, this Eastern European scientists don't know anything. Uh, you shouldn't drink this. Drink <laughs> paracetamol, bro, bro. You're gonna give me paracetamol and liver failure. <laughs> I didn't say anything, but you know, I wanted. I mean, no, but okay, but in international community. In the West, usually those medications get past that past clinical trials. Nootropes just don't... They're placebos mostly. Why? Because... What's, what's so bad about them? They just don't do anything. Why take money? No, I mean... Uh, so how does homeopathy exist in the West? <laughs> oh my God. Homeopathy exists because like, alternative medicine rose because con- the conventional medicine didn't look up look after people well you know like it's when medicine if you think um if you look at historical like records essentially like when homeopathy started rising i feel like um it is in correlation with this like increased medicalism and uh less holistic medicine when you have like mm-hmm. very specific spheres of medicine and you have doctors that are incredibly specific and we started treating systems and organs not person themselves as a whole and this is actually like this is a massive massive problem for current medicine because like we don't look at the person as part of society not always at least and we don't look at them as like a big like organism often will like break it down to organs and systems and then send to appropriate doctor which like it's great but not for chronic and more complex conditions you know it might work for something like gastritis but if you have Mm -hmm. something more chronic like just mm, no (laughs) (laughs) not really but i'm not even sure you can deal with all those things because it's a combination of uh, so many factors like a single a single doctor cannot change the world as well. I mean, many of them are doing the best they can. Of course, of course, of course absolutely. And actually, like, um, I'm grateful for the medicines we have right now. But if we could, you course. know, just that little bit more holism, maybe would have less alternative folks because they miss this attention to yourself. You know what homeopath gives you? It's a doctor. He comes. He analyzes your. You know. Well, they claim to be doctors. I mean, they analyze regular you doctors goal. have all the possibility to act like that as well. But the thing is, funding, <laughs> especially if it's Indeed. public healthcare. I mean, even in the UK, it's like what the ten, is ten, ten minutes, minutes, ten minutes for and a patient, or even less. Can, they will not make like oftentimes they will not make eye contact with you. They're just waiting for you to leave the office. <laughs> like you just you don't even feel like. A big part of this all, I think, is that you need to feel heard with your problem. Yes. If you don't hear that, like... You don't so get help. that, yes, yes. But, like, yeah. it's underfunded. We don't have enough professionals, like, everywhere. We never do. And, <laughs> indeed, you have so many people. No, but, like, okay, I was assessed by a homeopath because my mom believes that I need homeopathic antidepressants. Oh, my God, I'm getting so angry right now. Um <laughs> 
it's very funny because at the same <laughs> oh, time i was taking which kind is of... homeopathic antidepressants what they exist no what is that no it's sugary balls <laughs> Ah, those ones you take to have immune, better immune system. No, I don't know. Okay, I don't know. But basically, some woman came. She claimed that she had medical education. I was like, uh huh, sure. Honestly, she did probably, but <laughs> you know, it didn't save her much. And she had like this massive question on her laptop, and she would be like, "So, do you often feel cold or warm? Like, do you more often do you feel hot or cold?" And this like, sounds oh, like oh. Ayurveda. You know, like, do you do you prefer sweet or spicy? Like, it was like a this is Ayurveda. This is not homeopathy. I don't know, but this, I these are these are Ayurveda types of uh, what kind seems of person? So, seems so. No, honestly, I wouldn't get surprised. It's like very common everywhere. It was like yeah. I don't know, one hundred questions about my preferences and like, oh, how are you? And then my mom was like, oh yeah, she's also like very fatigued in it and all. And I'm like, yeah, no wonder. <laughs> <laughs> look at my environment and everything yeah and then she gave me these antidepressants like this sugar balls and those little little thingies uh they were like dosed mm-hmm. and everything and I, I just couldn't stop laughing at them because like you know they were dosed for like every dose of, like three balls and i was like what i'm gonna do like die from overdosing on sugar what is this like why they're dosed? <laughs> yeah but the fun part is that at the same time i was on prozac and i was a little bit um illegal because i was under 15 and i secretly went to the psychiatrist paid him a little bit more for him to like tell me what to do and i then illegally without uh, uh, anything from psychiatrist without any prescription i bought antidepressants in the pharmacy because i looked sad and they believed me how <laughs> it was before how. it was before much like stricter regulation of medicines in Russia, so mm-hmm. it was like my golden time. No, honestly, I'm, I'm very sad. Like, I feel like that forever destroyed the biochemistry of my brain. <laughs> I won't get surprised. But yeah, it was like illegal and antidepressants. But you know, like if you're post-Soviet, like what else can you do? The whole world, teachers are like, no, you're not depressed. You're just lazy. Parents are like, no, you're not depressed. You're just lazy. Meanwhile, you're like having intense chronic pains, absolute depression. You hate your life, feeling suicidal, having nightmares or like whatever. Continue the list. And school yeah, people are just no. like, you're an introvert. And I'm like, thanks, I don't care. <laughs> but, some, but sometimes I think about, I mean, older post-Soviet people and like, I think, have they ever had the depressive episode? How did they cope? <laughs> they didn't. Or they just don't Or they just don't perceive world in that way? I have no idea. I feel like I do have a little bit of an idea because essentially with all the family issues that I've seen, like, of course it left something in them. Yeah, but they display it in a different way. I think, like, they know how to not... I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not saying this about your family. I'm saying in yeah. general, like, people from that time, they know how to not, like, keep it in themselves, but kind of make I it someone else. I wouldn't say that they problem. keep it in themselves. No? There's always some kind of aggression going on. You're just, like, you know, projected on somebody or something. Yeah, that's if you bottle it up. No, I've, I, what I've seen is a lot of bottling up and not communicating about your needs and sadness, and then it comes out in, like, very weird moments. Okay, like, I'm not saying anything about my family. Like, love 
I love them all dearly, but, um, you know, I just saw this whole stuff. But, like, when I tried to access, like, yo, what's up? What's going on? You want to talk or something? Like, it was always, like, no, everything is great. Yeah, they just there's just not much awareness. So it's taken as a norm, you know? When, when somebody yells at me or when there's kind of, like, drama. For example, there was a case when in the post office I, I basically doesn't matter like i i brought the wrong document and the woman couldn't give me the parcel and she thought that mm-hmm. i was like a criminal trying to steal somebody's parcel so she started yelling of at course. me and when i complained to my mom she was like well what do you expect she's a soviet woman like she's probably not paid anything and i'm like i mean fair but can we please acknowledge the struggle here of me and her in general but it's like taken as a oh, natural but- thing but this is also no this is also about customer service in eastern europe <laughs> You know, in a way, in a way, I even prefer it to the Western variant. I feel so sorry for Western customer service that are forced to smile all the time. Because they're forced to. I know they don't want to smile. Like, don't ask me how I'm doing. I know that you're doing it for the money. Just let's let's make it like as little pain for each of us. (laughs) Oh, this whole "Hey, how are you?" when you enter and the barista is like, "Hey, how are you?" and you're like. It's okay. You like you don't have to ask, or like you say I'm fine, and you, and then they never answer, and you're like, okay, I don't know how. I just, I just think we don't. I think we still don't read up on those cultural clues. Yeah, I'm like, it's, it's like fine when when you ask someone how are you, and they just don't respond. Because sometimes I do that as well. I'm like, well, why bother? <laughs> Indeed, I don't understand. Like, is it a genuine question that I should answer? Like, obviously, I understood that I don't have to answer genuinely because, like, if I would. The person would be like, what? I didn't, like, expect what? <laughs> I love when, like, British people are like, hey, how are you? And I'm like, oh, you know, actually really bad. Like, I have these pains and, like, I'm very depressed. And they're just, like, standing there confused. Like, why did you just answer? <laughs> but I don't know. Should I say that I'm fine or not? Yeah, it's... It all yeah, I just I just go with that good. Like, let's return to those diagnoses. You wrote an essay okay. on it. How was... Well, no... I didn't talk so much about that. I was talking about some other um, spicy topic, which is suicides and neoliberalism. Yay! Uh, (laughs) I know it sounds like a very sad topic, but somehow, because I care about these things, so it was at least less uh, horrible to write the essay. But yeah, I was looking at, so there's this, I think it's a sociologist, Emil Durkheim. You know him? I think so. He wrote, yeah, he wrote he wrote this thing called the uh, suicides in 1897, mm-hmm. and then he where he was explaining suicides as a phenomenon that reflects wider social structures, mm-hmm. for, like in which the individual lives in. And then apparently in France uh, there has been like a number of suicides linked to neoliberalism. I'm not surprised that it's France. Are we talking about modern France? Yeah, I'm and talking Macron about modern stuff. France, like no, just not just like uh, Macron, but like uh, from like two thousands onwards, mm-hmm. when like all these reforms are taking place in many big companies, and well, maybe it's just because the French are more pessimistic in general. <laughs> but I do are think they? Like, <laughs> they are. One of their best books in the world is like about how miserable they are. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but no, it's very endearing. I like that they're like that. But 
I remember reading like one of the first novels, French novels that I read by myself was Madame Bovary, Bovary, Bovary. I don't know how to say it in English. Yeah, um, by Flaubert. And oh my God, she died. And she, she poisoned herself. <laughs> she cheated and then she died leaving her child in poverty. And I like I literally finished the book and I was like, what did I just read? And I was like 12 or 13. It was like one of the very first books that I read, like with like my desire. I was like, oh, I'm going to read classics. Not because I need to, but because I genuinely want to. And I was like, oh, maybe that's not the best one. Yeah. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. French, pretty depressed, but who isn't? You know, they are fatalistic. I think that's a bit, sim- it's a similarity they have with Eastern Okay, I guess a little clarification. We're not, we're not 100% sh- like serious. Like all this typing is not 100% serious. This is just like us playing around with labels and everything. Of course. Um, but yeah, no, there's this thing about France Telecom, which is a telecommunications company. And they had, I think by 2012, 80 of their employees had committed or attempted suicides. So it's 80 people working in the company and it was like a result of different policies of mm-hmm. they so in France, as I understand, it's quite hard to fire people. So what they would do is just um do different uh kinds of campaigns to make the employee want to leave himself. Oh so they would be oh, yeah. I heard and I'm sure this is like done outside of France as well, but uh they were like put under pressure. Um like either psychologically, like saying you have to reevaluate your whole personality to become a different, uh, better human for the company. Or they were being transferred to low-skilled positions. So imagine you used to be an engineer and then you're transitioned to be like in a sales position in a call center and yeah. you're 40-something. Um, of course, you're going to feel miserable and depressed because this is something you've not been qualified to do. Yeah, indeed, absolutely inhumane. And I think like su- like suicides in general, I mean, they occur for different reasons and they're, they've they always existed, but it can be like, you know, it can be like this last straw, like this kind of protest against something like in a situation where you feel completely powerless. So it just makes absolute sense. It would be really interesting if there would be, you know, some kind of data or studies about this in like ex-Soviet countries. I know oh, Lithuania okay. like has one of the highest suicide rates in the world. Ouch. Wouldn't uh, which is mostly why? No, um it's mostly like male drinking. Um Okay, I see. Know. I guess so it's... connected to unemployment uh or Yeah, unemployment salaries, like loss quality of, of life in society. Indeed. Yeah. And also I feel like Okay, we have toxic masculinity everywhere, but I feel like in Soviet environment, post-Soviet environment, it's like a special kind because of like, you know, Soviet women and Soviet men are very strict, like very powerful images and like they affected us. And indeed, okay, like if Western world slowly but surely trying to accept crying men and emotional men, in Russia, the emotional means abusive, you know? Like, the, that's the only kind of emotional men we <laughs> And I feel like it is that way in, in a lot of post-Soviet countries. Okay, obviously, like, I'm, I'm partially joking, but there's, like, this whole men don't cry that is, like, very, very strict. And it's also connected to militarism in the country, um, mm-hmm. which is very much the case 
in a lot of post-Soviet countries, you know. Okay, maybe not Latvia and Lithuania, so I'm not sure. Like, I feel like militarism in your case is, like, not really a thing, right? You have contract army, right? Yeah, yeah we do have a contract army. So it's a different culture. Yeah, of course, but I feel like, okay, maybe with Central Asia, it is very much the case. Um, mm-hmm. With Caucasus, Caucasus um, ethnicities, cultures also might be the case, you know, like, men don't cry, you're the strong one in the family, and so, there's like... So, and the way he cries is by beating you up. Oh my god, we're going to get cancelled for this, but honestly, this is just a lot of pain. Okay? No, but I'm sure there's a reason why there are so many, like, there's so much violence coming from men in those societies. Like, it is also because they don't really process... It's a combination of things, you know? It's a combination of things, of course. Like, I'm not saying it's just for one specific thing. Yeah, you have alcoholism, and then alcoholism is connected to, you know, employment and quality of life and everything. How much you earn, how much you can afford, and everything. Your living conditions in general. And then the way we see our relationships, the way families are built, the way our general all interpersonal relationships work, including friendships. I'm always thinking something terrible is going to happen. I can't handle it. You know, your worst fears, the, you know, the what ifs. And I can't control it. And I'm always worrying about everything. Back to diagnoses. I feel like this whole culture that we like just drawn has resulted in a massive, very strong stigmatization of a lot of conditions. Because like, how can you respect certain mental disorders, for example, if they mm-hmm. leave you less productive and then you have this culture, like, or they generally, like, leave you more sensitive, like, maybe emotional in some cases, depending on the disorder, like, in the culture that doesn't value those things and can't even accept it or tolerate them, of course, like, you have no room. Yeah, but I feel also, like, because there no longer is this, like, society and the main goal of human life in the at least secular West. Maybe it's a bit different in uh, Russia, but I think like the death of God, like now all we have is just to be the best versions of ourselves, which is scary to be the best version of yourselves. Like you need to, you know, cure that depression, get rid of that anxiety and just work and achieve. And, you know, just this endless list of things you have to do because, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not saying I want to return to some, pre-modern time (laughs) pre-modern time for example but i can imagine it used to be very different that you just had to be a faithful good person and that was enough but you know this your the that version is it truly yours because it's still defined by certain things by but we still you still define whether you're a successful person or you're your life is good based on some outside ideological merits, no? I don't think you can escape this. It always will be like this. We're like sociable animals. (laughs) But yeah, I just realized, like, we're talking about all this, but we didn't go into what CBT is. We just started talking about mindfulness and then homeopathy, Ayurveda, and so, yeah. Basically all the ways we tried to treat the side effects of modernity yeah i'm very triggered by the alternative ones but yeah cbt i have my own beef with cbt honestly because like yeah it is so popular but okay so cbt it's cognitive behavioral therapy i feel i feel like a lot of no so you have 
essentially a cognitive approach from psychology, which focuses on your ideals of yourself, your ideas of the world and, you know, your worth and everything, some kind of like cognitive dissonances and basically like images you have in your head, some kind of like stated, stable ideas that are questioned by therapy essentially. And then you have behavioral Mm -hmm. stuff, which is like you train your mind and yourself to behave in a certain way. You know, generally, it's a good thing. I love CBT. Like, there are reasons why it got so popular. But a big problem I have with this is that it tends to focus on just present. And it might be perfect for people who are, you know, whose problems come from maybe, like, work environment or family environment. But if there's something that comes from childhood... Or something that, you know, something more uh, back then from the past. CBT just might not work that well. But in CBT's defense, I need to say, or like more in therapy's defense, I need to say that usually CBT is combined with something else. Like very rarely, generally you're going to find a therapist just does one thing. Even like psychodynamic therapists often like include some CBT parts or like CBT therapists include some psychodynamics, psychoanalysis and everything, or like some art therapy or like ADP, other therapies, you know, different types. Yeah. I can understand why World Health Organization would advise it because you need a quick solution. What do you implement? No. Okay. The good thing about it is it's some somewhat quicker than, I don't know, for example, psychoanalysis <laughs> actually like i said i have a personal beef with it it is because like i actually wrote an essay i think in uh, oxford about um cbt when we were mm-hmm. like to criticize it as a part of like a lever program and i was like you know what it's my time to shine because indeed for like some eating disorder some uh, family trauma it literally like might not work some people like want and need to go into the past and then you're like your therapist gonna focus solely on your cognitive also no but another thing like okay if we're talking about other countries you know Mm -hmm. you okay world health organization suggests cbt as a potential treatment okay it will be cheaper than installing magically like resolving all the social issues and recreating equality or just creating from the scratch but at the same time I don't think we have finances and generally all kinds of resources to introduce it without, um, you know, fixing other problems. Like in order, of course, it's a, like it's in the long term, in the long term, like we're all gonna put our money to go to CBT, <laughs> and uh, you know, no, but you the know, problems like, will still be there. In order to be able to give people CBT, like okay, generally any kind of therapy, therapeutic treatment, you need a lot of resources, and you need certain infrastructure, you need certain um, ideas about therapy in society. But you're not gonna reach those unless there's certain level of like economical social stability and security given to people in certain and yeah and providing providing like a social safety net like both in terms of regular healthcare mental healthcare all all of this you know it requires a lot of funding and that is like against the neoliberal ideology like there's you know they think you shouldn't spend money on those things 
I mean, in different in different gradations, I'm sure it differs course, from like it's just France to Latvia labeling. to the UK. Just the last thing, I just find it very bizarre that, you know, I think most countries, for example, I can speak maybe just for Europe in this case, like they acknowledge that the healthcare systems are in crisis and, you know, in general, the social protection system is in crisis. But then they kind of don't recognize the reason for it, like, because it is largely about what are the priorities of our societies and, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, of course, many of, I think the governments would argue that, oh, but, you know, the banks won't like it, we cannot borrow this, or it'll create too much debt. I mean, it makes sense. Debt, if you have a, no, 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 the topic of debt is something, uh, something we're going to touch upon in the future. <laughs> I have very strong opinions about that. For sure, for sure. If they wanted to, they could. The same as I think about towards men. And Maybe I'm trying to get us cancelled. Edda already called me out on my anti-Italian races, which I then like dismantled, but still dismantled. No, I mean like I dismantled. Okay, this part. I single-handedly dismantled Italian races. <laughs> I'm a powerful Soviet woman. All they needed was me. <laughs> yeah, of course. I resolved racism. Didn't you hear? Yes. No, honestly, you know who resolved racism? Kamala Harris. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Soviet Union with those posters where like three women stand and Asian black and white woman and they're only holding those <laughs> you know a message from soviet woman to the world and i'm like oh my god and they're okay. holding some they're holding some flowers it's usually like gladiola or something often yeah there's like some kind of symbolism going on there yes it's beautiful but but i think this has been a very um eastern centric episode so we should finish on a note talking about the bernie meme this meme hey. is the saddest thing ever. Why? Why? It makes... I just see Bernie and I'm like, poor old man. He devoted his life to maybe build a better world. And he has to go to see the inauguration of Joe Biden. I don't know. It just makes me fundamentally sad. But also because... Did you see some Twitter feminists saying that he's being misogynistic? Bernie. Yes. How? I mean, he's still a white man. I wouldn't... He's still a man. I wouldn't totally be surprised. But, like, what do you mean? Bernie is, like... I don't know. My image of Bernie is, like, this cozy grandpa who's, like, you know... I don't see him as a president. And I I don't think I ever did. Like, he had some cool ideas and everything. He's just, like, those cool grandma, revolutionary grandpa. No, no, no. This this accusation was... (laughs) Gender in non-construct. But does Bernie have gender? Just like God, I think there is no gender. <laughs> um, so this is the tweet. Like this has like a lot of retweets and likes, like thousands of them. I'll admit the Bernie memes are funny, but oh, but his openly grumpy disposition during a very historic moment for women and particularly women of color speaks volumes to me. Um. Is he not allowed to exist? You know, you know this TikTok sound, which is like, "Can I live?" That's a can I freaking live? Yes, live. that's 
That's very, like, being, gosh, he's exhausted. Cut him some slack. That man is tired. Like, let him just sit there. He's been fighting for so long. And honestly, like, give him some credit. He has increased his support in recent years dramatically. I feel like in general, like, a lot of Americans were like, yay, Bernie. Like, I don't know. He became an icon of sorts. Honestly, if he's... Maybe he didn't sleep well before that. I don't know. He's a grandpa. Let him be. All of them are grandpas, though. No, but what in the representative uh, feminism is this? I mean, he's an icon because he wore those... um, Not gloves. What is it? Mittens. Mittens made by... Uh, I think a woman school teacher. Sorry, that's not quite exploitary. <laughs> oh yeah, from recycled plastic and recycled tool. No, but actually, that's like very cool. He's like a one coat man, but yeah, he looks. He kind of looks like those Italian grandpas sitting in front of restaurants and cafes and just like smoking and looking at. Strangers. Yeah, that's that's what they do once they go into retirement. Um, but honestly, yes, <laughs> hell yeah, that's my dream because. Because the them because you know like all the establishment killed him off like you know like there were just they did everything so he doesn't become the candidate like that's my opinion I think he like if he was the candidate he would have won but do you see him as a president come on of course I would have seen him as a president I I don't know I see him as an old like, just, he's a cool grandpa that you love the, your he's the president that I want to hug. And I don't want to hug president. <laughs> Is this the strong leader that you need in such strong country, such as you? No, but have you seen him? Have you seen him discuss with people? He's like he's also very like he sets his boundaries. I love him. Yeah, we're gonna get some comments being like, "Girls, I look all right." Burn, really? <laughs> he's just a cute grandpa. Whatever. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I struggle to see him seriously. Um, though at some point, I did, I guess, uh, but not like as a future president, yeah, point, like no, as a I massive, think... like as a as a figure with a lot of, uh, like I want to say following, but I mean like a lot of supporters and everything who indeed like he changed history of America in certain way. So yeah. So um, I guess we should wrap up. Long story short, Bernie memes good. <laughs> Mental no, health bad. So I don't find this funny. These pictures of him sitting in places—it's so sad. I'm like, he could have been the king of the world. He wouldn't be. I disagree. He's just a cute grandpa. Let him be sad and you know. King of the world, how so? Though, to be honest, Biden... This is sadder than the topic of mental health. (laughs) Priorities. No, but also Biden doesn't really radiate this, like, you know, president of a massive country with massive influence in the world. He does. I don't want to say so. Okay, his inauguration speech was great, but I feel like it was the first and the last great speech of his because generally he's not a great public speaker. He's just like, meh. He's just there. Honestly, I'm more interested in his administration and people around him uh, than him himself. And I need to give him some credit too. Um, it just like first 
several hours and he already did so much. Like, I hope it's not just some performative stuff. I hope that he keeps it up. But something tells me that he might not. But, you know, <laughs> hope dies last, they say. Yes. No, so, I'm, I'm more positive about uh, everyone. Everything is positive. Yes. Coronavirus positive. No. <laughs> oh my God. I would like to wish our listeners a very positive morning, afternoon, evening. If you're one of the millions of people who live with uncontrollable worry, anxiety, and several of these symptoms for six months or more, you could be suffering from generalized anxiety disorder and a chemical imbalance could be to blame. Paxil works to correct this imbalance to relieve anxiety. Prescription Paxil is not for everyone. Tell your doctor what medicines you're taking. People taking MAOIs or thyroidazine should not take Paxil. Side effects may include decreased appetite, dry mouth, sweating, nausea, constipation, sexual side effects, tremor, fatigue, or sleepiness. Paxil is non-habit forming. I'm not bogged down by worry anymore. I feel like me again. I feel like myself.